Welcome to the Assembly of Silence Radio Hour. This audio program has been carefully packed to the legal limit with a weekly allowance of non-governmentally approved deep thoughts per square minute of podcast. And now, here are your hosts, Judah and Noah. Hey, everyone. So, uh, it's just me again. Judah's off gallivanting. Time is of the essence. It's so essential that we have difficulty getting together. We try to record as many as we can when we do get together, but even we get exhausted talking for three hours in a row. So, uh, here it is. Another week. And... Last time this happened, we gave you Judah's talk on uh, nourishing the soul of a child. And prior to that, I gave you this extraordinarily weird thing that uh, finished off season one, Manaclepto, a meditation on the criminality of the human species. This time, I'm going to read to you a piece that I posted to my Medium account. If you want to follow me on Medium, my channel is called Taiji Reality, T-A-I-J-I-R-E-A-L-I-T-Y. Taiji is often called Tai Chi. It's associated with the system of exercise that was at one time a martial art, still is a martial art if you want to practice it that way. But many people now practice, they call it Tai Chi, but... Those of us who have gotten into it for a while, we know that uh, chi is associated with energy. And that's actually not the character in the original word. So none of us are pronouncing the Chinese correctly. It's probably something like tai chi, something like that. And in the uh, earlier version of transliteration, the chi and the ji were essentially the same sound, even though they're a different character. But now they're spelled differently to avoid confusion. And Taiji basically means the great distinction. Sometimes that's translated as the grand ultimate. Some people talk about Taiji Chuan, which means Taiji Fist. Uh, They're talking about the grand ultimate martial art because it has to do with the great distinction, the great difference, because G means difference or distinction, or pole, polar opposites. And those are, of course, yin and yang. And the reason why Taiji Chuan is considered the grand ultimate martial art is because it incorporates not only force, which you could think of as being yang, but also the absence of force, yin, receptivity. And that is essentially the pole. And we see that that's kind of a universal pole. There's the receptivity of so-called empty space. And then there is the yang of the objects that are in space. But like most poles, there's a tendency for the poles to reverse. And as it turns out, the emptiness of space is actually filled with energy. In many respects, there's a lot more energy there because there's a lot more empty space. 
And that's actually one of the, the fundamental concepts within a new theory in physics. It's called quantized inertia. For those of you who are interested in physics, check it out. It's an amazing theory. Quantized inertia. Mike McCullough is the physicist who's the main proponent of it, although there's a lot of support for it now. And the basic idea is that we know that there is energy in this so-called vacuum of space. And if you take that into account, you could think of that as being the primary driver in the universe. Because there is so much space between the objects that we think of as being the things of interest, the things that are most easily noticed, like the sun and the stars. But as usual, we tend to get things a little backwards. So it turns out that really most of the action might be coming from where there isn't something. And so you could think of the objects as actually being yin, as receiving the fundamental underlying energy throughout the ambient space. And indeed, gravity suggests that objects are receptive to things because things are drawn towards them. I'm not going to get into quantized inertia much right now, but it is worth noting that if quantized inertia is correct, then gravity is actually not what we think it is. It's a completely different phenomena. And quantized inertia does explain gravity, and it does explain the expansion of the universe, and it does explain the accelerated expansion of the universe. And it also explains bizarre things like uh, uh, wide binaries and the rotation of galaxies. It's got really very good predictive capabilities. So for those of you who are rigorous in your scientific thinking, I highly recommend checking into it. But that's not what we're going to do today. Today I'm going to read for you an article that I recently completed entitled A Metaphysical Model for a Conscious Universe of Timeless Physical Change, which is going to be a little bit of a trip. Uh, very different from Maniklepto, perhaps equally challenging. I hope that at least some of you will find it of interest, and uh, ideally, Judah would be one of those people, and we'll be able to discuss it in our next episode. But if that doesn't happen, that's fine, because whenever Judah and I get together, we have a pretty good time discussing whatever it is that happens to come up. So here we go. Physical model, the conscious universe of timeless physical change. The following article assumes two unusual premises. Number one, the physical universe exists solely in the present, not within time as ordinarily conceived. And two, all phenomena are constructed from and organized by consciousness. Two previous articles provide arguments in support of these concepts. These two articles are also available on the Medium Taiji Reality channel, I think is what they call it on Medium, but I never remember. The first article is called Metaphysical Questions for Physicists About Time, and it observes that there exists no actual physical reality to past or future. Only the present is physically real. Past and future are real only as abstractions within a conscious mind. Now, hopefully that's a relatively clear concept. There is no past or future existing right now. There are traces of the past, and there are some sense of what may occur, 
but actual past or future slices of time don't exist in the present reality, and there is no physical reality to either the past or the future. Okay, then the second article that's this whole thing is built on is entitled Metaphysical Questions for Physicists About Consciousness. And that one observes that all detectable matter senses and responds and can therefore be considered conscious. Now, in that article, I spell conscious a little bit differently. I use an O slash for the first O in conscious to denote a very specific meaning of conscious. Because one of the problems with the word consciousness is that it has a bunch of different meanings that are all kind of uh, piled in together. So in this case, conscious solely denotes an entity's capacity to sense and response with an assumed experiencer as the agent. So we're talking about sensing and responding and some kind of experiencer, a conscious being that's responsible for the sensing and responding. What we normally refer to as inert matter is here seen as a network of conscious entities. So normally we think of matter as being unconscious. We attribute its sensing and responding capabilities to some kind of physical mechanism. But when you really get down to it, the further you penetrate to the various parts of things, it becomes difficult to explain why it is that anything responds the way it does. And given that we know that we respond because of our consciousness, we have perceptual abilities, we process inside of ourselves the things that occur, and then we behave in a certain way. And we see that other living things do the same thing. They're conscious beings. They have senses, and they have a cognition. They have a way of perceiving and processing that perception, and then they behave in a certain way. So why should we not say that there's some kind of consciousness underlying the basic sense and response of all matter? Or at least, let's say, what happens if we think of things in those terms? Let's just follow that train of thought and see where it leads. And then in this article I say, well, if you haven't read those two articles and you don't understand why these ideas are worth considering, then please read them. And now we get to the meat of the article. So how can we describe change in a universe where real phenomena occurs only within the present? and there exists no physical past or future. Because quite often time is the mechanism that we use to describe change. Right? So if time isn't a physical thing, then how do we talk about physical change? Physical change is ordinarily represented using a timeline or a time variable that encompasses some range of time. Time is taken as consisting of a past, present, and future. But from this point of view, there is no physically existing past and future. Timelines and time variables cannot be used in an accurate description of physical reality because of this fact. So anything that's referring to time is basically referring to consciousness. So how do we refer to change that happens in physical reality? Physical reality is here seen as an ever-changing present, and consciousness the sole agent of change within this present. Time is thus not a physical attribute, but is rather an abstract capacity within consciousness that informs conscious operations. 
Consider the role consciousness plays in its many forms here on Earth. Even if you don't recognize other forms of life as conscious, the variety of consciousness within humanity is itself quite astounding. And if you see other forms of life as conscious, as they certainly are, the variety is absolutely mind-blowing. The word variety here signifies the countless ways consciousness can process, sense information, and produce different responses. Despite this fantastic variety, all forms of consciousness have a basic common schematic. They receive signals from their environment, perform some kind of internal processing, and exhibit some behavior based upon these conscious capabilities. Consciousness can therefore be seen as functioning much like an analog information processor. It receives information about its present surroundings via some sense apparatus. Myriad forms of consciousness can be seen as different types of processors producing a wide array of different outputs. If all phenomena is built from conscious entities, as suggested in the second paper, uh, Metaphysical Questions for Physicists About Consciousness, then change can occur on the basis of conscious processing without any need for physical time. So it's obvious that um, this is a pretty heady approach to things. I think uh, Judah would say this is a, a mind-oriented approach as opposed to a heart-oriented one. I, I hope that, that uh, by the end of this, uh, you'll realize that there is a heart component here, but yes, of course, I'm approaching this from a very cerebral uh, point of view, but I'm trying to be really rigorous for a reason, because I really want to express ideas to a scientific community that are typically not acceptable to the scientific community. So if I use a heart language to talk to a mind community, it ain't going to work. So I'm going out of my way to try to be formal in expressing the ideas in the hopes that it would reach people who are mind-oriented and ideally bring them closer to the heart. Because I think you know, if there's one thing that's a theme that we're constantly returning to at the Assembly of Silence, it's um, the integration of heart-mind. And bringing these things together, not only for our own health and well-being, but ideally as a healing process for all of humanity and our relationship with the world that we find ourselves in. Very idealistic, a tall order, maybe a little late for that, but you know, we got to try and do the thing that makes the most sense. And that's what makes the most sense to me. I see no other way of moving forward. But it seems that we really run the risk of losing the connection to what is meaningful to us if we stay only with the mind. And we really lose the connection of doing something that makes sense if we only stay with the heart. So, with that in mind, we're moving to the next section here. So here I start to talk about a formal relationship between consciousness and its surroundings. Now, if all entities are conscious, then the surroundings of every entity are 
essentially made up of conscious entities. So what's the nature of the interaction? And uh, here's what it says. Consciousness interacts with its surroundings via the medium of energy. Energy acts as an interface between consciousness and its surroundings. This interface allows consciousness to both send and receive signals. Energetic signals from its immediate surroundings stimulate consciousness's senses, which is input from the physical frame into consciousness. And consciousness expresses itself energetically into its immediate surroundings. And that's output from consciousness going into the physical frame. And I have a nice little schematic drawing here that illustrates the idea. If all entities, particles, atoms, cells, etc., are conscious, then the physical world is comprised entirely of conscious entities. It follows that all signals would originate from conscious entities. And I have a footnote for that. Should I read the footnote? Okay, I'll read the footnote. The footnote says, we don't normally consider consciousness to be the origin of all signals because we have a preconceived concept of what conscious signals should look like. Namely, they should look like human signals. So we think of conscious signals as being like the stuff that we do, because that's our consciousness, and that's what we identify consciousness as being. And this is probably the reason why we tend not to recognize other forms of consciousness. Many people have difficulty thinking of plants as conscious, but it becomes obvious to anyone who carefully observes the behavior of plants that they are conscious. The mystery of sense and response allows us to consider the possibility that all entities are conscious. Okay, that's the footnote. I'm going to go back. You know, one of the things that really sucks about Medium is that you can't click on a footnote link and get to the footnote. So I don't think anyone will ever read the footnotes because you have to go to the end of the article and read all the footnotes, and then there's no way to get back to where you were in the article, and so it's difficult for the context to be maintained. It's a problem with Medium. Other than that, it's not a bad platform. So returning to the main text here. Signals are received via various sense apparatus, which are themselves comprised of conscious entities. And I give an example. So nerve cells within a body are collections of conscious entities. Each nerve cell is a sensing and responding entity that receives signals, does something with them, and passes them on. So it has a response. It expresses something. And it's a living thing, and it very likely has a experience in it, an experiencer within. So it has an existence. It's a living thing. And... We, of course, are receiving messages through that apparatus. So we are made up of these living things who give us a sense of what's going on. Whether it's the cells within your body or the billions of atoms and particles vibrating in your environment, your entire experience is, from the point of view outlined here, the result of the interaction of all the conscious entities making up your consciousness's body and its environment. The behavior of all conscious entities within a given frame combines into that frame's aggregate phenomena. This aggregation of conscious activity is what makes up the sensible world, which is what the phenomena that can be sensed is. So the phenomenal world, the sensible world, is what we can pick up with our senses.
what we're able to perceive. There's a bunch of stuff that we can't perceive. And so depending on the sense apparatus, the, the mechanism of sensing, it's a different phenomenal world. And that's one of the big points here is that depending upon your position within this universe, whether you're a human being or an atom or a galaxy or anything, that point of view from the position that you're in is the thing that defines your consciousness. You have a particular arrangement of material that it's able to sense, right? So you could say that we as living beings, we have an arrangement of cells. And depending upon the arrangement of those cells and our relationship with them and their relationship amongst each other, we get a different set of messages. And so we process things differently and then we behave differently. So you could think of a cell as being something that has a bunch of molecules and those molecules are arranged in a certain way and that cell is going to have an experience that's different depending upon the arrangement of molecules and the conditions within which it's situated and the same for a molecule. A molecule is made up of a bunch of atoms and depending upon that configuration it's going to behave differently. It has a different sense of what's going on. We work our way out the other way. We could say, well, a galaxy consists of a bunch of stars. Depending on the configuration, it's going to have a, a different way of exhibiting behavior because it processes things differently because it's made of different constituents and it's in a different position with respect to other things. So it, all consciousness is conditioned by its circumstance. Where was I? Uh... So the behavior of all conscious entities within a given frame combines into that frame's aggregate phenomena. This aggregation of conscious activity is what makes up the sensible world. Consciousness receives energetic signals from the present frame and transmits energetic signals into the present frame. When signals are received by consciousness, it causes an impression of the present frame to form within consciousness. So we get an idea of what's going on. Right? We get a bunch of signals from what's happening around us and it creates an impression within us that we then work with in our understanding, in our sensibility of what's happening, and our responses and behaviors are what arise from that whole process, from the inputs that we get and the kinds of processing that we can do with that stuff. When actions are undertaken by consciousness, when, when it expresses itself, it causes the present frame to be influenced by force. So you have this dynamic back and forth happening. You have messages coming into consciousness from the present frame of its surroundings, and then you have messages being expressed by consciousness into the present frame that influences what's happening in the present frame. <laughs> the reason I'm using present frame is basically it's a way of describing the circumstance that we're, that we're all in, having a general way of being able to encapsulate it. So it could be a small frame where we're talking about a specific set of entities, or it could be the whole present frame of everything in the universe. It's kind of a catch-all way of referring to what's happening, which is always in the present. And you can kind of zoom in or out as you like. So we're talking about force now because there's a relationship 
between uh, consciousness and its surroundings that's mediated by energy. And so when energy comes in, there's kind of a force of the, of the present frame that's playing itself into consciousness. And then when consciousness takes action, it's sending force into that present frame. So we can say force is the transmission of energy from one conscious entity to another or to some group of others. In this model, there's two basic types of forces within the physical present. You have inertial and kinetic. Both are mobilized by consciousness. Inertial force is constant or consistently periodic. When all forces are inertial, the present frame abides by the law of inertia. Kinetic force varies in a non-periodic fashion, causing the organization of the present frame to undergo some change. Uh, example would be acceleration. So here I'm trying to account for the basics of physics. We have uh, an idea, Newtonian concept, that inertia is a tendency for objects to persist in their present motion if not interfered with some other force. Now, in reality, it's very rare, rare that there isn't some other force. <clears throat> and it might be said that there's always some force at play. Otherwise, there wouldn't have been movement in the first place. So it's not as if there's really an absent of, absence of forces because any object is made up of atoms exerting forces in order to maintain the integrity of the object. So inertia is kind of a, a problematic concept when you consider what's actually going on in physical reality. And so here it's seen quite differently. All forces are here seen as byproducts of consciousness. Solid inert matter is simply a collection of tightly bound conscious entities exerting inertial force in relation to each other. An example here would be atoms in a solid. In the absence of kinetic force, free bodies continue along their present path of motion due to the aggregate interaction of steady state, in quotes, or periodic for forces of all conscious entities within the present frame. And when I said steady state, I have another footnote here. Because steady state is kind of... <sighs> okay, so I say in the footnote, it's unclear to this author whether or not steady states are real phenomena or merely a term for what is actually a particularly stable collection of periodic interactions. It seems likely that all existing things are continually moving. When movement ceases, so does existence. So steady state is a useful concept, uh, but it's probably not particularly accurate. But we want to get the sense that some entities are basically committed to a specific set of behaviors that are regular and periodic and fundamentally stable. So kind of steady state is a nice way of saying that because when you say periodic, there's fluctuation and it gets more complicated to refer to how you would get inertia from that, although it probably is fundamentally a periodic uh, phenomena. We call it the periodic table for the elements and every atom does apparently vibrate at its own particular frequency. But the rates are, you know, it, it's happening at a 
level of scale where the repetition of the behavior is so great that the interactions form a kind of a mesh from our point of view at least. So being able to account for the difference between a kind of background condition where things are humming along as they have been and the various things that happen within that context that kind of change the overall configuration. That's the main distinction that I'm trying to work with here. So kinetic forces are the ones that really influence and change. They can assemble or dismantle the networks of conscious agents which comprise the immediate surroundings. Kinetic forces cause changes to the organization of structures and direction of movement, like accelerations. These changes have the potential to cascade outwards and may modify, however slightly, the entire cosmos. Conscious agents with freedom to choose and power to influence may dramatically, irrevocably, and unpredictably alter the physical present. And there's another footnote. What am I talking about here? Oh boy. This is a tangent. Okay, I'm just going to read it. A metaphysical cosmic ontology might be as follows. Consciousness is the universal envelope within which everything occurs. Consciousness partitions itself on the basis of differentiation, which is making distinctions, defining difference. Myriad nodes of consciousness are formed which allow the establishment of relational networks among themselves. Consciousness seeks to either maintain inertial force or change kinetic force its conditions. All forms of consciousness are likely to change their present mode of operation when conditions change outside their normal range. Example, behavior of supercooled atoms. So I'm not going to get into all that right now. So here we go, back to the text. Here we integrate the domain of physics with that of experiential conscious beings. This combination provides a more complete picture of the reality within which we exist. A physics-absent conscious being is clearly a less complete picture, as is a contemplation of the nature of consciousness absent an understanding of physical reality. No time is required to account for change except as a representation held within consciousness. By its capacity for abstraction, consciousness can utilize whatever particular conception of time it may have, thus making it able to maintain and recall patterns of behavior and imagine, that is, create images of, potentially novel behaviors. So we can, we can imagine ourselves that every entity, atoms, molecules, particles, what have you, has a consciousness, and within that consciousness, it's able to maintain a picture of what it's doing. And so, by so doing that, it follows the picture, and that's its behavior, and there is no need for a concept of a physical time, that there was an actual physical moment before because it's all happening in the present and it's the idea that allows for the propagation of patterns and actions something along those lines so that kind of makes up the meat of what this whole thing is about and then the rest of the article is basically a bunch of the same stuff said again because I think that 
it's kind of hard to get a grip on it. So I remember someone telling me when I was in a company and they were trying to train me how to be a salesman, which was really a bad idea, pretty much impossible. I'm the worst salesman in the world. And I would imagine, (laughs) hopefully it's not the case with the ideas that I'm putting forth, but I imagine it probably is the case with the ideas I'm putting forth. But you know, at a certain point, we do have to just come to terms with who we are. So if I have ideas and I'm not the right guy to sell them, well, maybe someone else could sell them. You know, it's no reason to not put them out there. And uh, my sales skills, I don't know, maybe they're a little better because I was thinking about this. And so I incorporated it into the essay. And what I was told when they were trying to teach me this is that when you're trying to sell something, the first thing you do is you tell people what it is that you're going to say. And then you say it. And then you tell people what it is that you said. It's kind of like a time thing, right? You're anticipating, so you're going to talk about the future in the beginning. And then you say the thing that you told them you were going to say. And then you go back and you say, hey, that's the thing that I said. So this is what I'm going to do now is I'm going to kind of go back, but I'm going to add a little bit of interesting stuff as we go along so that you can get a sense of, some of the developments, some of the ways that this thing might move out into other territory. So here we go. The principal forces, inertial and kinetic, apply to both physical and conscious domains. Let's use this article as an example. We each have a set of ideas that form the basis for our understanding. This can be seen as an inertial state within the mind where, quote, things continue along their present path, like inertia. Thought becomes well-established within the mind on the basis of repetition, periodic force. And this is why the mind returns to what it knows best. But sometimes it becomes desirable and important to change the operation of the mind. Oftentimes because the present inertial state no longer produces beneficial results. A new thought will require much repetition before it takes hold within the mind that's not accustomed to it. The effort required to change the inertial state is an example of kinetic forces that modify the present organization. Once established, what initially were kinetic may eventually become inertial if periodicity is firmly established. Actually, a better way to phrase that, part of the reason why I'm reading this thing now, is to say uh, when initially kinetic becomes established, when initially kinetic forces become established, they will eventually become inertial once periodicity is firmly established. So that means that if you want to change behavior, if you want to learn something new, you have to reprogram yourself. So you may have like a kind of set of configurations, a way of thinking, and you want to change that. So you can't let the pattern continue. You have to introduce a new pattern. So you're introducing a new pattern, and that new pattern is going to have a kinetic effect initially. It's going to reshuffle things and reorganize things. But if you continue it long enough and it becomes part of you, if you're able to integrate it, then eventually it will take on inertial properties. So it would be you have to periodically reinforce, and eventually it becomes part of your matrix, if you like. Okay, so I've been uh, listening now here, and we're not even halfway through this thing. And I'm exhausted, and I imagine that you probably are too. 
how much of this can we take? So uh, I'm going to call it quits right here. And if for some reason Judah and I are not able to get together for next week, well, I'll have a whole bunch of material to throw up here to further elaborate on the concepts that were just laid out. I hope you found it interesting, and uh, we look forward to having you back with us again next week for whatever on earth it is that we do at the Assembly of Silence Radio Hour. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, throw us a bone by subscribing to this channel, visiting our social media pages, and hitting the various like, love, and clap buttons. We welcome all comments, criticisms, and random thoughts. Our email is silentassembly at protonmail.com. And if you want to be an angel, we have a Patreon page at patreon.com slash silentassembly. We look forward to serving you again soon. In the meantime, remember, turn that thing over a few times before you pick it up and take it home.